0: Francis Bacon famously noted that knowledge is power, and the knowledge of science that can lead to the knowledge of technology is enormous power indeed. This is Wyoming Catholic College's weekly podcast, The After Dinner Scholar, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. In his book, The New Atlantis, published in 1627, the year after his death, Francis Bacon imagines being lost in the Pacific Ocean and landing on an unknown country, one filled with scientific and technological marvels. Dr. Paul Geesting led the participants in the 2023 Wyoming School of Catholic Thought through a discussion of Bacon's work with this introduction.
1: So the fact that I'm presenting on The New Atlantis is a uh, fairly humorous story in itself. With when this uh, concept of technology was being brought up, I think from the from the first day, oh, we must read the New Atlantis. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I've never read the New Atlantis. Uh, and then and then at one of the later sessions when we were really sort of finalizing things, it was like, Paul, you can do the you can do the New Atlantis. Oh oh, really, intriguing. Okay, I guess it does uh, it does follow up on uh, on the it's the same time period as the other stuff that I'm presenting on. So. We can try to put it in that context, you know. So we have the introductory note, which I disclaim the uh, political and philosophical implications of the translator, or uh, I should say, editor's introduction here. Um, but it does have these interesting anecdotes. So this is a few years after uh, both the Galileo and Kepler texts that uh, we discussed for the previous session. So this is written in about 1623 so of course shortly after the pilgrims have landed in the uh, early era of american colonization so of course people like uh, magellan have you know crisscrossed the globe but there is plenty of room in the pacific ocean to place fictional fairyland magical kingdoms uh, such as this and so yeah so this this story i mean so reading it myself Bringing the eclectic combination of things that I have to bear on it, it seems to me to have three basic—not exactly parts, but themes. So there is this yarn about a faraway island kingdom mm. that's you know placed here in this you know fictional land in the middle of the Pacific, and this fictional history of the Americas and its relationship to China as well. So it's very international for the era. It's very international. It's it's reflecting on you know, human achievements from both Europe and China, as well as the Americas, or the lack thereof, and and giving a reason why that should be. A very, in fact, in some sense, generous reason compared to some of what was being purveyed about uh, the inhabitants of America by other people in the era. Um, And then we have this moralizing tale about marriage and childbearing and how we should celebrate that with this really bizarre-sounding ritual. and how uh, the sexual morals in Europe at the time are completely awful. And then we have the actual business in just the last four pages of this, um, as I have it uh, edited for you, about how the House of Solomon actually works. So we should probably, I would think, want to spend some time on those other details, and I'm personally fascinated by that moralizing part, but let's not jump too far ahead. (laughs) So he's telling the story. He has, he has lots of visual details, doesn't he? He loves the details of what everybody's wearing in particular. It's almost like certain female novelists of a much more recent era. Um, but he's fascinated by that and the symbolism therein. The gemstones encrusting the cart that the uh, member of the House of Solomon rides in on that's uh, being carried by two teams of horses. And then, uh, so, the, so, and of course, we have a few of these details about how Okay, as we go through this, right? So we're we're sailing. It's a you know, it's it's just a snippet of a uh, of a story that you know goes back long before Jonah. I'm sure stories about you know disaster at sea. we in this case, it's becalmed. We can't uh, we can't make it to land. We needed to pray, and somehow miraculously we came to this island kingdom that we had no idea existed because the Pacific is awfully big. I mean, the Hawaiian Islands weren't going to be discovered until God knows when after this, uh, after this story, not by Europeans anyway. So, and then we, and these, this moralizing element comes in fairly early. And it's, it's fascinating in itself. And the more I think about it, the more I think it really does govern how we should think about how we should interpret Bacon's idea of how technology will make our lives better the way that he couches it in this culture that is clearly you know, in all these different ways morally superior to the European culture to the, and in particular to the way English political culture worked in his era. So he believes it's a great improvement, he presents it as a great improvement that these people have if we look on page 109 here. So he left us, and when we offered him some pistolets, he smiling said, He must be not twice paid for one labor. I believe PLISTA was an Italian gold coin. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But uh, something, you know, 20 pistolets would be, oh, it'd be, it'd be just, it's, in this case, he's not giving a number, just some. Um, he must not be twice paid for one labor, meaning, as I take it, that he had salary sufficient of the state for his service. For as I after learned, they call an officer that taketh rewards twice paid. And of course this, this becomes a theme that he will return to a few times. So that this, this society is first of all organized on a different basis than Tudor society is, than Stuart society in England is. That instead of an office, and you know, again, uh, allowing for any necessary corrections of my impressions here. But instead of an office being something that, I mean, so the, the office of like, They talked about tax farmers in France in this period. And of course we had tax collectors, um, as we know from the gospel in the uh, the period of the Roman Empire. And so they're given a job and they get most of their revenue from extracting payments from people that they are inflicting their job on in some sense. Or, you know, in this case it's, he has been, this officer has been assigned to take care of them and so they, with their European expectations, expect to need to pay him for this. Whereas the society says, no, this is, this is our job, you know, and we are going to pay you a fixed steady amount. You don't need to worry about it. And you should not extract, they wouldn't necessarily be bribes, but you should not be bribeable. You should not be dependent on this sort of tip You know in order to do your job. We're going to, we have, we have the stable, organized, and of course, probably very centralized society um, in which this happens, in which this is, this is all in the order that it should be. If we go to page 110, we have some of the, we have we're, uh, some of the material where we're looking forward to the technological advancements that these people are. Now I had to pause, we, ha- we also drink of three sorts here in the middle of page 110, all wholesome and good, Wine of the grape, okay, we know about that. A drink of grain such as is with us our ale, but more clear. So in Francis Bacon's opinion, macro brews were actually an improvement. Fizzy, uh, thin, fizzy yellow beer, that's what I'm reading that as. Um, and then a kind of cider made of a fruit of that country, wonderful, pleasing, and refreshing drink, okay. So these fruits, so, so these people can take advantage of certain I mean, that, so this is, a, this is itself a theme that this island was already a paradise, and then it became more of a paradise by the institution of this house of Solomon. So they have these, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say magical oranges, um, these, these extremely helpful uh, scarlet oranges that were an assured remedy for sickness taken at sea and I think apparently other things. And then they did give us some pills, which they wished our, our sick should take. So you know, all right, we are looking forward, in some sense, to modern pharmaceuticals here, um, mm-hmm. magical, magical drugs. So so we continue the story, and we start to hear, and we and we hear this this hilarious fable that reminds me strangely of the Book of Mormon about how these people came to be Christian, <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah the the commentary. Um, and the commentary that the, the wise men of this time had had this specific, um, on, on page 113, we're jumping forward here. For as much as we learn in our books that thou never workest miracles but to divine an excellent end, for the laws of nature are thine own laws and thou exceedest them not but upon great cause. That's an interesting in itself point of view and, and not one that, I, you know, I, I, one that I find very appealing but not necessarily the point of view that you would need to be need to be a Christian. It's it's a particular outlook on life that, you know, that we're very interested in the rules, the, the natural philosophy, the rules that govern the world and how it works. And so God is probably loves his creation there as well. So he is not going to transcend these laws except for some signal purpose. And in fact, I have heard, you know. Colleagues of mine in the Society of Catholic Scientists opine that, in fact, perhaps miracles never involve breaking the laws of physics, perhaps they only involve stretching them to absurd lengths that perhaps quantum physics leaves us so much room for it's simply so it, it simply happens at a time that's a monstrous, monstrous coincidence it's, it's a thought, and it's an extension of this point of view here. Um, and so, so, these laws of nature are themselves, so they're not themselves divine, they are creations, but they are greatly beloved creations. And they are arguably, you know, at least as great and noble in themselves as say, you know, the greatest of angels are. Lucifer before his fall, Michael, and so on. Um, so that these, these laws of nature are you know, deeply connected to God, very holy, that's the word that I'm groping for. They're not divine, but they are tremendously holy. And so that, and of course, that's simply in the context of the story, um, explaining how these people could possibly be Christian, which is very uh, convenient for uh, Bacon's purpose, because if they're Christian, that means they really can be an ideal society. Let's see. And so, so we continue with this, this adventure story, this, this alternate history, this you know, fictional history of this strange, strange uh, land, and we have this uh, commentary where we place this land in the context of it's out in the Pacific, it's between America and China, it's composed of people who have tremendous technology, so presumably they can sail, and indeed they do sail. They're just so good at hiding themselves that we don't know about them is intriguing in itself. And we, so we place this in this context, and we compare them specifically with China in a number of places, uh, especially on pages 117 and 118. So Bacon is trying to take a very wide view of the accomplishments of human technology at that point. And in that era, China still had many, You know, so many things have been derived from China. So gunpowder, he talks about fireworks, of course, in his rundown of the House of Solomon. Um, as far as we know, that originates in China and then gunpowder was just a refinement of that um, later on. Um, printing, there's, there were forms of printing in the Far East and therefore specifically China, um, long before it became movable type in the 15th century in Europe. So these things had existed and Bacon knows that impressive things do come from China, although China has its own problems and of course China was in a, a process of decaying and by you know in in two hundred years from this point, China is going to be a a moribund power that the Europeans can push about almost at will. but in this era it's um it's the other pole of human achievement that he needs to take into account when he's sort of setting the uh setting the scene for what uh what the House of Solomon is going to improve on and so so we come on pages one eighteen and one nineteen into the section where. Bacon is now praising the, uh, the fictional society. So he's creating, and of course, this is a, what a century after Moore's Utopia, which, to be honest, I haven't read and could be an interesting point for discussion how this compares with Moore's Utopia. Um, but in this, um, <clears throat> a key element of this utopia is that it has far, far better, uh, far better regulated sexual morality and value for raising children. So this, this withering critique, I mean, so it, it's preceded by this praise, okay, which is a nice way to do it, in fact. We have the positive first, and then we get the withering critique of European morals um, after a few pages of describing this, this ritual. So if there is a, uh, a, granted to any man, this is bottom of page 119, it is granted to any man that shall live to see 30 persons descended of his body alive together and all above three years old. So they've passed the, you know, the the perils of, uh, of being an infant and you know, dying of all the things that infants can die of. They've passed the perils of being two years old and their parents killing them because they simply can't deal with them. <laughs> and then, um, so we've, we've all made it to that point. So there's at least 30 of them. And then this, this very strange and, and, and in some ways off-putting <laughs> ritual where the, uh, the tersun, Comes forth and is you know and is he is you know isolated and you know exalted and it, it doesn't really actually sound like all that much fun. Um, I would rather just have a big dinner party with my you know large extended family if I were in this position. Especially like if the mother is alive, then she's just kind of isolated off somewhere. Doesn't sound like quite behind one-way glass, but something like that, where she can't be seen. Yeah, I mean it's it's, but. Overall, you know, my, what I derive from this is that he sees this as critical, that a society, this, this ideal society, is apparently not Malthusian at all. That was a product of a later era. It is not concerned about runaway population growth, even though it has all of this wonderful treatment for disease and whatever, presumably. Um, so it is, it is still very much uh, concerned with propagating itself, and indeed, at the top of page 121. For they say the king is debtor to no man but for propagation of his subjects. Okay, so that's, you know, does that sound like where modern technology has taken us? Hmm, so we have, and and then we have this delightful withering critique. So first of all, we have this, these extremely convenient Jews who are very nice, and actually respect Jesus a great deal, rather than doing all of the things that people in the 17th century accused Jews of doing, whichever, well, let's not even go into that. But, um, so, the, so, the, so there are these very handy, very nice Jews, and so we get to talk to one of them, and then he, he has this delightful withering critique of European sexual morality. They say ye have put marriage out of office, and therefore there are with you, seen in the middle of page 123, Therefore, there are with you seen infinite men that marry not, but chose rather a libertine and impure single life than to be yoked in marriage. And many that do marry marry late, when the prime and strength of their years is past. And they do marry. What is marriage to them but a very bargain, where a sought alliance, or portion, or reputation, with some desire almost indifferent of issue, which explains a lot of the uh, you know dead ends and family trees of uh, European nobles of you know the entire modern era. So. And this is, of course, set greatly, greatly in contrast uh, with how they do things and and Bacon's own idiosyncratic ideas, including, well, you know, it would not be chaste for you to look at each other naked and decide whether you want to be um, in a marriage with each other. So you could, but you could just have your friends do that for you. (laughs) Okay, so all of that is here. And all of this is here before we have the final what, you know, I was reading this all, you know, looking for the payoff. And as I was saying to, uh, to someone the, the other night that I have learned to read books uh, just in teaching here for two years. I have, I have seen my, in myself a better attitude toward the text that I read. Um, but this one, I have to admit, I was relapsing a bit. I'm reading this. I'm like, how far into this am I? When are we going to talk about all the technological innovations that I thought this work was supposed to be about? Um, are we going to get here? And of course, so we get this promise on page 124. OK, thank God. Thanks be to God. Um, that one of the fathers of Salomon's house will be here this day seven night. We have seen none of them this dozen years. That's an interesting detail. And then of course we have a page and a half about how he's dressed. <laughs> and the mannerisms of, uh, of coming to meet him. And then finally, at long, long last, on the, bot- on the top of page 126 I should say, we begin our four, five, six, actually, okay. So there are actually seven pages once we finally get to it there are seven pages of discussion about what the House of Solomon actually does, how it works, why it works. Of course, we have one line about how it works, right, at the top of page 126. The end of our foundation is the knowledge of causes and secret motions of things and the enlarging of the bounds of human empire, which is the practically identical text that he put in the the extract from the New Organon um, that we saw earlier, to the effecting of all things possible, Pretty pretty brief as far as a mission statement. Um, pretty brief, pretty broad. Um, so I mean, you can pause there and think. What would he have thought about people, you know, landing on the moon and walking on the moon? That would have been, you know, all things possible. How is how is that even? I mean, yeah, it's it's still strange to think of today, however many years, twenty, almost getting toward. It's getting toward twenty years after. Um, or twenty sixty? yeah, I can, I can do math, seriously, I can't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when I have my mind on it, instead of uh, just trying to give perspective here. But the idea that we could assemble enough of these combustibles that uh, you know he's describing in, in the course of this that these people would have had access to. We can assemble a, an enormous tower of combustible items and put enough motion behind it to get people all the way to the orb of Ye Moon, as Newton might say. I mean, it's, it's still, it still boggles my mind um, that humans have been able to do that. And it's, it's already, it was the case long before I was born, or at least a while before I was born. So, so then what do we have? So, so this, let's pause here before we dig into this. What were the previous sections for? All right, so we've got this magical faraway kingdom. It's also a very, it did start out as a um, kind of a paradise and then it was perfected in some sense, or extended. And I missed that on the way through. It is already perfect. Back on page 117. So we're talking about the fictional history of this, of this kingdom. So we have this Solomona, who, you know, conveniently sounds a lot like Solomon, but isn't Solomon. And then taking into consideration how su- sufficient and substantive this land was to maintain itself without any aid at all of the foreigner being pretty large, and of rare f- fertility of soil in the greatest part thereof, and so on and so forth. So this place was already as good a place as there is on the planet, right, on, on planet Earth. And so, so then we have this um, establishment that then perfects it further, starting from this point of superiority. And what do they, and then they have also this um, tremendous moral Structure. They are better than we are. They do not take bribes. They are not going to go to Mexico and conquer it and you know yank all of its gold out of it. They're above such things. And they are chaste. They value chastity. They value family. They value having a lot of children. They sound like they would be great, you know, additions to the community here at uh, WCC <laughs> or various other places. So. So, it's this culture is in the background sustaining this technological empire that's you know exists in secret, exists in secret. We have seen none of them these dozen years. So I mean, so, so far as I know, if we go all the way back to the introduction, the uh, the editor's introduction that I copied in, so. No reader acquainted in any degree, in the middle of that introduction on page 106, no reader acquainted in any degree with the processes and results of modern scientific inquiry can fail to be struck by the numerous approximations made by Bacon's imagination to the actual achievements of modern times. I will be honest, as I went through this and all the way down to the end, I am struck by the contrast between this utopia and anything that's actually come to exist in the modern world. So. Are there aspects of this that I see uh, similarities? Cool. Yes, absolutely. But it's couched in this culture of virtue, and I don't think it's coincidental. I think Bacon would probably argue, if we could question him about it, and if we you know read more of the New Organon, you could probably find places that, uh, or his other works, were, that would support this, that would s- his state his supportment for the. Uh, State his support for this. That, of course, it would need virtuous, disciplined people to sustain this intellectual enterprise, see it through to completion. And then he has, you know, those these very few places where he talks about how it's controlled. Very few, but they are there. Um, and of course, we'll have to pay attention to that. So what does he? So what impresses Bacon? So what does impress Bacon? So we start out with this discussion of, they have these massive laboratories. They have caves of insane extent, where they can do all sorts of handy chemical, or shall we say, all still in this era, um, transformations and reactions and processes. Then we have towers. And so Bacon is aware that it might make a difference whether we're way below the ground for, you know he could speculate that there's probably some sort of difference there, and of course, now we have all sorts of ideas like yeah there would be no cosmic rays down there we would we'd be able to block out things that you know Bacon had no idea existed and then of course likewise by putting ourselves far into the air we would get away from influences of the surface and then I suppose he would be aware that we'd put ourselves more in the way of influences from the stars and the sun and we have these hermits, hermits for science we have yeah a lot of different kinds of water a great many kinds so bacon has materials bacon has the idea of medicines um, and liquids that serve that purpose got a lot of material that's good for agriculture food science (laughs) there's something that may have kind of gotten away from us hasn't it Um, we can do all of these things to make foods taste better yeah and maybe attract us to foods that aren't necessarily the best for us, but uh, that doesn't seem to be uh, anticipated there. We have supplements to make the flesh of men's bodies on page 128 sensibly more hard and tough and their strength far greater than it would otherwise it would be. Presumably handy for warriors. Maybe Achilles had some of that stuff. But yeah, and more liquors. So he's very interested in all of these materials that we can make for all of the different purposes you can put materials to, um, whether to eat or to apply to ourselves or to use to medicate ourselves and or to make things from and he's yeah, I mean this is somewhat repetitive and you know kind of goes back and forth. there are some categories starting on page one twenty nine I put in the margin several categories so there's several lines about the different ways they can manipulate heat, um, a number of ways in which they can manipulate light, a number of ways in which they can manipulate materials, which harks all the way back to the first uh, discussion back on page 126 about new artificial metals and so forth, a great many ways in which they can manipulate sound, smell and taste, so all of the senses, and then they can manipulate motion which involves military technology, although these people don't seem to have anyone that they need to be at war with. But, you know, who knows? Pizarro or somebody could come sailing up and they would need to be able to defend themselves, just as uh, Aristotle was talking about. And then, so at the end of all this and all these ways in which they can manipulate the senses, at the bottom of page 130, and surely you will easily believe that we have so many things truly natural which induce admiration could in a world of particulars deceive the senses if we would disguise those things and labor to make them seem more miraculous. But we do hate all impostors and lies in so much as we have severely forbidden it to all our fellows under pain of ignominy and fines that they do not show any natural work or thing adorned or swelling but only pure as it is and without all affection of strangeness. Ah, well that would be nice, wouldn't it? Is that how things have worked out in the real world? So in the interest of, uh, of um, drawing this uh, exposition to a close so we can start the discussion, let's move on to the third part. So this is a fascinating brief rundown on page 131. For the several employments and offices of our fellows. Okay, so there's only so many tenured faculty positions here. <laughs> there are exactly 36 tenured faculty positions. 12 of them have to sail around and uh, basically, I'm not gonna say steal, but I'm gonna say steal Um, insights from other nations and we call them emergence of light that's so delightful I mean the the names that he gives them are so incredibly strange so let's not focus on that specifically unless you want to in the discussion Um, but so we collect the experiments in books the experiments of material mechanical arts so these are just collecting these people are simply collecting work that has already been done from whatever source Um, and that's you know one-sixth of the entire party that is their job so A third of the entire party is sailing the world looking for new insights. Um, A sixth of the party is just collecting what they have on hand. Then we have three that try new experiments. Then we have three that draw the experiments of the former four groups into titles and tables, which is Bacon's vision of how science is going to work. Bacon had a deep skepticism with mathematics, which is one of the reasons why he wasn't successful um, as being an actual scientist. Um, He did not value it as much as he needed to. He thought that simply by, um, I mean, the text here. Draw the experiments of the former four into titles and tables to give the better light for the drawing of observations and axioms out of them. Which, of course, he writes a new organ on because he thinks he has a better approach to logic and its application to science than Aristotle did. So we call these compilers. And then we have people that bend themselves looking into the experiments of their fellows and cast about how to draw out of them things of use, and so, so, so then we have people who then look at the results of existing experiments, design new experiments, perform the experiments, and then you know another group that interprets them with a different approach. And this so Bacon does an interesting amount of justice, certainly for 1623, um, to the fact that science is a that it is itself a discipline that requires a lot of different um, approaches. So I alluded to that before. Um, Eisenstein's discussion of how Copernicus served, just, he simply served a different purpose than Brahe did. Astronomy requires, yes, looking at the sky right now so that we can see what's there right now and looking at it as precisely as possible, but it inevitably involves, I want to know what was happening 3,000 years ago because the changes that happen in the heavens happen on that time scale. They simply do. Um, we, need be, we need to be looking at the writings of the ancients. And so that's a, and that's a different skill set. That's being a linguist. That's being a paleographer of sorts. Um, being able to, defront, you know, to to wade through ancient texts and sort out, does this mean what I think it means? Or is this you know, someone's name being mistaken for this person's name and this era for this era? Because I need to get the dates right. Well, you know, it's a whole different skill set than building an instrument, observing the heavens, and doing it as precisely as possible, and then finding new ways to report the data. But there's a lot of existing data. I mean, I speak as someone who, to the degree that I have a professional specialty, I would express it as I sail the seven seas with my cutlass between my teeth. Um, pillaging old papers for data and reinterpreting it. I mean, that is, that is my own personal approach to the scientific work that I'm most proud of, takes that form. It's a form. Do I, do I feel in some sense inferior to experimentalists? I guess I wasted some years with that, but I mean, I have a different specialty. And, and those people are, you know, without people doing the experiments, I've got nothing to work with. Um, and then there are theorists, the big idea people, um, as, as I mentioned before, and so, so this you know, extremely detailed division of labor, um, you couldn't map it precisely, and of course it is, it's too specific. Um, and in this work it doesn't need to be all that realistic. He's, he's, he's giving some ideas, he's put them in this context of this fantasy kingdom that's a kind of utopia, a kind of technological utopia, and he's doing a, a really a pretty good job overall of spanning. You know, there's a lot of things you need to do in order for science to go forward. There's a lot of things that, and in some sense, is a program for Europe, right? Isn't that, I mean, presumably what this would be? To some degree, this is a program for England, and England should do it first, but frankly, everyone should do it. Spain should do it. France should do it. Bavaria should do it. You know, Tuscany should do it. Um, we should all be doing this, and we should all be seeking to extend the empire of humanity against the cosmos, rather than bickering and infighting with each other. Which these people conveniently don't do. They are here on this island. They are, they keep themselves secret. They don't you know cross paths with other people with them knowing about it, and they you know they concentrate on improving themselves, and they have this delightful, <laughs> this delightful moral system that's so far superior than God. They are Christian, um, <laughs> and they are they're better Christians than we are, frankly. And then of course at the end we we kind of throw in, we, also, we have also, as you must think, novices and apprentices. The succession of the former employed men do not fail, besides a great number of servants and attendants, men and women. So that's one thing that seemed conspicuous by its absence here to me. I don't see any machine man. I don't see any golden women wandering the house of Hephaestus, you know, doing all his tasks for him. I don't see tripods rolling around under their own power to relieve him of the duty of embarrassing himself by going in front of the gods himself. That doesn't seem to be part of Bacon's vision, intriguingly enough. Which, I mean, and of course, it would be an error, I think, to try to portray this as a complete you know, discussion of how the technology and the economy and everything else of this fantasy kingdom would interact. Um, he didn't get that far in any case. Um, so that's... That's his picture, and it's still, it's still being run under human power. It's being run under human power, so these, these I'm going to go ahead and call them tenured faculty members, have their empires of what we now call graduate students and maybe technicians, You know the people who work in the machine shop, who are very necessary to the whole enterprise. Um, so we have all that, and, and it must occupy some significant part of the state, um, this whole, I don't know how it's funded. We don't really get that. Um, But that's, you know, I mean, there are parallels. In a way, and it's it's both an alien world, it's a very alien world in certain senses. I mean, by the time we've got dowry men and uh, inoculators um, and interpreters of nature, that sounds, I mean, and of course, you'd better bet they have tippets of fine linen that are probably color-coded for their, you know, exact uh, role in the uh, situation, which frankly (laughs) might be an improvement on how we do science as well. And then finally, we have this last little uh, talk about our ordinances and rights, which is mostly our museum. We have a museum where we honor, instead of conquerors and generals and kings and lawgivers even, we honor inventors. That's what we honor. We honor inventions and we honor inventors. And then we have a daily office. So we're apparently at least high church enough for that. And then we have circuits or visits of diverse principal cities of the kingdom, which I will call Bensalem Fairs or something like that. And sounds like the world's fairs. One, another thing that's conspicuous by its absence here is printing. Actually, printing would be kind of inconvenient for this tight lockdown of secrets, wouldn't it? And then, and then finally, they do, of course, do exactly what you would hope they would do. Natural divinations, that's an interesting way of doing it. We could simply call it a prediction. Of diseases, plagues, plagues. Oh dear! Um, swarms of hurtful creatures, scarcity, tempests, earthquakes, great inundations, comets. Um, he didn't live in Italy, so he didn't say volcanoes. Um, temperature of the year, and so on. You know, so we have our farmer's almanac, as well as you know, people with their seismic networks. You know, looking out for you know dangerous stuff happening to ward off disasters. So. So all of that, so this, this very different world than the one that we ended up inhabiting. This program for a technologically developed world that's very different than the one that we actually have, where the printing press has distributed this like wildfire and now our, we're using our technological developments to put you know, simple-minded artisans out of, out of work.
0: While the new Atlantis is an unfinished work, It seems clear that Bacon admired the society he described, as opposed to the thoughts of Jonathan Swift, who in Gulliver's Travels wrote about another scientific and technologically advanced civilization. Join us next week as we journey from the new Atlantis to the flying island of Laputa. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowich.